This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. We are in the book of Acts still. We're starting um, chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. I think if we're not careful as Christians, we can become somewhat fatalistic in the day and age in which we live. We can easily look around and we can say, this doesn't look like the world that I grew up in when I was a kid doesn't look like my grandparents' world when they were alive, and especially concerning like the attitude toward the church and Christianity. Things aren't getting better in that regard. The world is getting more and more hostile against Christianity, and it seems to be getting further and further away from biblical truths, and therefore it just kind of feels like I mean, it's, 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 it's terrible, it's horrible, it's never getting any better. And we kind of adopt this fatalistic, uh, uh, pessimistic mentality when it comes to the world around us. And I want to say to you this morning, now hear me on this. Are you with me? You're watching? You're alive? You're awake this morning? Fatalism, pessimistic fatalism and Christianity do not go together. I want to say to you today that I believe that pessimistic fatalism is antithetical to what Christianity should be. It's the opposite of who we should be. See, fatalism looks at the world and says, there is no hope. We're Christians to look at the world and say, Jesus is our hope. And as long as he is reigning on the throne, we'll always have hope. 
This story, these stories that are here in the book of Acts, as we end out Acts 9, these stories that we're going to be looking at today, I think a reminder that Jesus always shows up and Jesus can turn things around. In fact, I was really uh, encouraged by a message by John Piper on this text, and John Piper entitled his message, Jesus Still Turns Things Around, and that was preached back in the 90s. Okay, so here we are in 2021, and more than ever, we need the message, Jesus still turns things around. And I want you to live in that hope. I want you to live in that excitement. So I want you to think back, even this morning, like, you lived a life this week. Hey, we've lived a life this past year, and it's been a difficult year. Has it been a difficult year for anybody here? Like, just a strange, weird, odd year that we've been living in, 2020, 2021, and we can look around and we can, it's been often said that we're living in unprecedented times, that, that these are just like the worst times ever with all this mass debate and vaccine debate and, and people not really understanding science and leaning on other things, and we can look around and get a, get that fatalistic feel and, I've been asked several times by people, is this the end times? Is this the end times? Well, as Paul Harvey has once said, um, remember Paul Harvey on the radio? Remember him? Paul Harvey said, in times like these, it's always good to remember there's always been times like these. And uh, these are not uh, unprecedented times, or the most difficult times Christians have faced. I mean, could you imagine living in World War II? Like that was very, very difficult time to live. As your young men were going off across the pond, so to speak, to a war and dying. Imagine living in the Civil War where people who were your relatives are now your enemies. And uh, the essays are hard times, but there have always been difficult times. And I want to say to you this morning that through it all, through it all, Jesus always shows up. So here's what I want you to do. Here's the big idea of the day. Write it down. I will live in the hope of Jesus who turns all things around. I will live in the hope of Jesus who turns all things around. And I want you to believe in that this morning and see it. And I want to show it to you in the text. In fact, I'm going to give you three situations here where I believe that this text shows us in which Jesus turns all things around. Write this one down first. In mind-blowing ways, Jesus turns all things around. In mind-blowing ways, Jesus turns things around. And uh, here's what I want to show you. Let your eyeballs fall on verse number 31, back in Acts 9, 31. I know some of you are feverishly writing, taking notes, and thanks for bearing with us. We have to print off a whole bunch of weeks of bulletins as we're just kind of displaced from the offices. And you guys are very good to work with us in this transition phase as we're building uh, the new stuff and getting everything in place. But uh, here's what you see in verse number 31. Take a look at this. This is where Drew ended last week. And I wanted to start here this week to show you something pretty cool. Here's 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, check that out, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so nice? Who here wants to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Just say, ah, that just sounds so nice. But that verse should be somewhat shocking. Because take a look back at chapter 8. And I want you to see how chapter 8 begins. Just step back a little bit. We're not very far back at all. And you see this in chapter 8, verse number 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul, of course, is Paul. And this is prior to his conversion. The execution was of Stephen. Now watch what happens here. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles, devout men who buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Put yourself there. Hey, what would you do if today people burst into this worship center and started dragging people off to prison for claiming Jesus Christ? If you knew that could happen, would you even come today? If you knew that making a stand for Christ could cost you that? You know what's interesting? I tell someone this. Our attendance drops when it rains outside. <laughs> I'm not joking. On rainy days. It's like people will wake up and like, ah, it's raining. I'm not going to church. You're here. So, you know, you're my favorites. You know, I love you guys. Right? So, you know, it's you online. That's what I'm telling you. You're who I'm talking to. I don't know if they laughed or not. But anyway, the point being that, um, yeah, just that. But, but imagine being, being here. Like these, these were horrible, horrible times to be a Christian. And really because of one dude, man, Saul. Saul was ravaging the church. Saul was leading this charge against God's people. And it looked like it was dark. It looked like it was bleak. And what kind of hope did they have? Did you imagine being there and like, well, maybe, maybe the dude will die. And maybe then we'll have some relief. But, but should we even hope for that as Christians? And how likely is it that anyone's going to try that? And, and, and so there's just loss of hope. But what does God do? He doesn't just kill Paul and take him off the scene. No, no, God blows their minds. Because God takes this guy, this hater of the church, this persecutor of Christianity, and turns him and makes him into the greatest proclaimer of Christ the world has ever seen. God does something they would never have imagined possible, but he shows up and he blows their minds because that's who Jesus is. We serve a mind-blowing Jesus. And that truth is all throughout the Bible. Here's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God blows our mind. And okay, pastor, that's the Old Testament. That's nice. How about the church? Well, great. Let's read this one together if we can. This is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love that verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That's who God is. He's a mind-blowing God. He can blow our minds, and he has blown my mind time and time again. Do you have stories of God showing up and blowing your mind? Man, I, see, I have so many, and, and a lot of them just comes with the planting of this church. 
And some of these stories I know I've shared before, but we have so many new people at times, it's good to repeat these stories. And two, they're, they're stories that are deep within my heart from God's faithfulness to, in my life. These are things that when I'm down and I'm discouraged, kind of like I talked about in the, you know, when I rushed up here because I forgot I had the transition and I talked about the faithfulness of God, like, like that's what I go to to encourage my heart over and over again, these stories of God's faithfulness. Like when we first took this uh, position and I was leaving my old church, uh, they provided my health insurance and I had no health insurance, you know, where I was going yet because I hadn't planted a church yet. And so what was they going to do in that health insurance? We had to pay for our own health insurance. Well, a guy heard that I was going to the mission field, one of my friends from high school, and he called and he said, hey, I heard you're going to be a church planner. Well, I'm behind that and I'm going to supply all the money you need for your health insurance. And I'm like, well, that's an awesome provision of God. Like I needed that and God showed up that way. So I went and I resigned my position at the church. And then that next week, that very next week, I think even the next day, my friend called me and said, I hate to tell you this, but I lost my job and I can no longer pay for your health insurance. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I would love to say that I just said, you know what? God's got this and I'm at rest and I'm at peace, but I didn't. I struggled with fear. I struggled with anxiety. God, did I just mess up big time and, and take this position? Well, it was only just like, like that night, that very night. Someone had, had over for dinner and we're eating dinner with this guy. He's in the church. And he just says, Pastor, I, I'm, I hate to see you go, but I really want to support you. And I'm just going to write you a check right now to give you financial support. And the check that he wrote was vastly more than we needed to cover health insurance and then some. And just mind-blowing times where God just showed up. Hey, we had to get into this building when we bought it. And we were kicked out of the old building pretty quick. And we had to quickly do a bunch of renovation and raise a bunch of money. And we're like, how are we going to raise that much money in that little bit of time? So we went to the congregation and and we just had, let's take an offering. And God, we needed a certain number. I think we needed like, I think it was $65,000 to do that. And that morning we brought in like $90,000 in an offering. And I was like, God just showed up. You know, kind of like it's going to do in November when you guys show up and just give tons of money. So... But God showed up there time and time again. I mean, just this is mind-blowing ways. You think, how can we make this? I mean, planting the church. We had to buy all this equipment. And Adam and I were looking at this number of how much it was going to cost to buy all this equipment. And we're like, we got about, at that time, we had about 60, you know, uh, people. And they were all millennials. And millennials are poor. I don't know why I'm looking at you, but you know, I'm just, just saying, you know, just throwing that out there and like, how are we going to do this? And we prayed and we saw God's face and God showed up, provided everything that we needed to launch this church. And look, I can tell you a thousand stories. Recently, we got to build more children's ministry space and we're trying all these things and God's shutting every door and we need offices and we need all these things. Well, the lady next door just randomly calls and says, Hey, you want to buy my house? We're like, well, let's go take a look. And we look like, this is perfect. It works out great. So we went and bought her house. And I mean, God just provides and provides in mind-blowing ways. Now, all those are kind of financial, and, and I get that. And uh, that's sometimes when I struggle with anxiety, that's where I struggle. And I would love to sit here and tell you all the spiritual ways that God has shown up. A lot of those stories are, are behind the wall of confidentiality in the, in the counseling room. So I just can't get up here and say this and say this and say this. But let me just say, say to you, what I've seen God do in the counseling room has been mind-blowing. Marriages that you look at and you think, how is that ever going to get put back together again? God puts it back together. Addictions that are strong and deep. People have struggled for decades. And they find Victory. Because Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he blows our minds. That's who our God is. He shows up in mind-blowing ways. Do you believe it? Have you seen it? 
Here's the problem, though. Most of life is not mind-blowing. So write this down. In ordinary ways, Jesus turns things around. In ordinary ways, Jesus turned things around. Because a cold, hard reality is most of my life experience is not mind-blowing miracles. Most of the time in my life, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm coming in and doing the thing and going home and coming back and doing the thing and coming home. And and it's a lot of ordinary. What I find comforting in this text is there's a lot of ordinary here too. You just have to see it right. So here is Acts chapter 9. And I want your eyeballs now to fall in verse 32. Check this out with me if you would. Acts 9, 32. What you have happening here is Paul's conversion occurs. But then Luke kind of focuses attention back on Peter. At the end of chapter 9, we see these miracles that Peter is doing. Chapter 10 is really going to focus on Peter. God's, God's got some work to do on Peter that we're going to see in chapter 10. That's pretty cool. I'm excited to preach that. But today we're talking about these two stories here. But, but, but I want you to see what's happening. Now look at verse number 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived, uh, at, who lived at Lydda. Now, um, uh, now, something to, to, to take in mind here. Uh, before even we get to this text, uh, this conversion of uh, Saul, Paul, when uh, you know Drew kind of preached some of the ramifications of his conversion, here's something you might not realize. Do you know there's a whole lot of time? So look back here, if you would. Take a look back in Acts chapter 9, and you see the conversion of Paul at the end of uh, 19, and then uh, in verse number, beginning of, um, the end of verse 19 or 20, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Do you see there it says, in some days? Do you know how long that was? Galatians shows us. Here's Galatians 1.15, where it says this. But when uh, he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal the Son to me in order that I might preach to him to, among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem uh, to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after, here it is, three years... I went out to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. So there's this really long span of time when Paul is just hanging out in the desert learning from Jesus Christ. And here you have now Peter, who is in the meantime still preaching the gospel, still doing the thing, and the gospel is spreading, churches are being established. And so Peter is like, I wonder how these churches are doing. So he gets up and he goes through the map. He goes uh, to Lydda, to Joppa, and he's traveling around miles and miles and miles. He's going here and there. And, and you know what this is? This is like days and days and days worth of just traveling, sitting on a donkey, going to church after church and saying, here's the gospel again, here's the truth of Jesus, here's the gospel again, here's the truth of Jesus, going to bed, waking up, doing his thing. We have no idea how long it's taking. But listen, there's a whole lot of ordinary in all of this. And what I love is in the midst of the ordinary, we see this, verse number 33. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed and Peter said to him, and yes, Jesus Christ heals you, rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose up. So God does this miracle, breaks in and does the miraculous amidst ordinary. Okay, eyes up here for a second. Most of life is ordinary. You know this? 
When you read Acts, you begin to think, oh, miracle, 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 miracle. That should be my life. I, I stink because I don't see a bunch of miracles in my life. No, most of life is very, very ordinary. And I want to tell you, your faithfulness to your call of God is so important. In fact, when we look at Peter and we say, okay, well, how did Peter operate in the ordinary? Let me give you five things. Here's number one, letter A, write this down. Peter was faithful to his call. Peter was faithful to his call. Why in the heck is Peter going around to these churches and feeding the sheep? Why is Peter going around and tending the lambs? Because Jesus told Peter in John 21, remember the story? Jesus told Peter when they had finished uh, breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, what do he say? Feed my lambs. Later he says, tend to my sheep. And so Peter's just doing what he's called to do. What are you called to do? Well, if you're married this morning, you guys still married? Yes. Good. Way to Happily. go. Sarah. Way to go, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're married this morning, uh, I want to encourage you, be faithful to your spouse. Love your wife, Aaron, as Christ loved the church and gave his life for us. Honor and respect your husband, Aaron. Aaron and Aaron. <clears throat> um if you're a parent, bring your children up, fathers, in the nurture and the admonition of Christ. There's a whole lot of ordinary in that, right? There's a whole lot of ordinary in that. There's a whole lot of ordinary in the day to day to day to day. For all of us, we've got to remember this. In the ordinary, there are some things that God, God has called us all to do. Here's uh, Matthew 28, 18 through, through 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Remember, go, therefore, is as you're going. As you're living in the ordinary, the one thing that you got to do is make disciples. Here's what that means. That means you got to get out of the mundane and see your calling greater than your ordinary. I mean, yes, there's a lot of ordinary, but you have a calling greater than that. I mean, listen, I'm a pastor, and I can easily get stuck in just doing the thing that I do every day. Get up, go to the office, beat my staff, come home. Uh, well, you know, but you know what? Just like all the things that we're supposed to be doing, the in, the out, the day, the day, and not lifting up my eyes to see around me the things that are going on and this calling that I have to preach the gospel to every creature. In fact, it brings me to my next uh, point that Peter does. Peter is faithful to his call. He's doing what he's called to do. And then this, Peter seizes the opportunity. I love how the verse says in 33, Peter found Aeneas. Hey, there's this guy. He has a need. And now the extraordinary can break in. Now the miraculous can happen because Peter sees the need and he seizes the need. The opportunity it's all around. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4. Uh, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Say that with me, church. Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. How many people, man, this week did I walk by who were in desperate need of Christ and may be ripe for the gospel opportunity? Am I looking for that? Have you, have you got your, your, your discipleship, uh, or your, uh, your neighbor outreach plan? Are you writing things down? Are you making an effort to see around you the need? And then when you see it, grab it. Man, we're going to be praying, God, give me the eyes of Jesus. Help me to see my coworkers with your eyes. 
Help me see the people around me with the eyes of the one who sees through it all to the heart and the greatest need. God, help me to see the gospel opportunities. And when I see them, help me to seize them for you. And then when I do, when I do, here's what I got to do, man. I've got to, I got to do what Peter didn't. I've got to invoke the power of Jesus. Do you see what Peter says specifically here? I love this. He says it in um, verse number 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, who heals him? I mean, come on. It's so, it's so tempting to want to be the, the healer. Can I just be honest with you? It's so tempting to want to be the savior. To want to be the hero. And every time I go into a counseling room, i got to remind myself of who I'm to point people to. My temptation is that I want to be the best counselor they've ever been to in their life. Yeah, you've been to all those other yahoos, but now, now you're in the office of Pastor Jamie. Ugh. But it's not Jamie. Do you know how much power Jamie has to save anybody? Meh. Do you know how much power you have to save anybody? Come on, show me. How much power do you have to save anybody? But do you know how hope-giving that is? Because I know deep down I don't have the power, but I know the one who has the power. And Peter calls him to, listen, point people to Jesus. Say that with me. Point people to Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And Peter points him to Jesus Christ with the power to heal. Peter also does this. Peter calls to faith. Peter calls him to faith. Here's how he does it. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And he says, rise and make your bed. Do something. Here's an action you've got to do. See, faith is more than just belief alone. Faith is belief in action. It's belief in action. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you had to call upon God to save you. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10 says this, because you have, uh, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord... Sorry, I got so many different versions in my head. You ever do this? I got Old King James and New King James and NAS and ESV. So let me just read it. Uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And you had to pray that prayer to be saved and to have an action, a, a faith action. And we should not be afraid to call others to a faith action, both in their salvation, call on God to save you, but also in our discipleship. And very frequently, as I'm discipling people, I have to call them to an action of faith. Dude, go back to your wife. Yes, I know. You don't feel loved. Yes, I know. You feel like a wretch. I get it, all of that. But God has called you to be faithful to your wife, to love first Christ, love the church, trust him, believe in him, and get back and do your thing. Hey, confess that or, or rebuke that person for their sin. You need to go and point their sin out to him. But I don't want to do that. Look, God calls you to. If someone sins against you, rebuke. And when they repent, forgive. But that rebuke has to happen. Don't be afraid to do that. We're calling people to action. And maybe what you need to do this morning, is there a faith action you need to take? Maybe the Holy Spirit even right now is laying something on your heart to say, you know that faith action you need to take. And take that faith action Peter calls to faith in the midst of ordinary. This is how the extraordinary happens. He is faithful to his call. He seizes the opportunity, invokes the power of Jesus. He calls to faith. Then I love this. Peter makes Jesus famous. Now, I don't mean that Peter makes him famous in the sense that he wasn't already famous. He just makes his name known. He just declares the fame of Jesus Christ. Because look what happens in verse number 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned 
to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Here's what I'm saying. Listen. How many of you live ordinary lives? Put your hand up. Come on. How many of you live ordinary lives? Lottie Dottie. Everybody lives an ordinary life. I live an ordinary life. But there are moments where God breaks in and does the extraordinary. And makes himself great. And makes himself known. So be faithful. Grab these opportunities. Invoke the power of Jesus. Call people to faith. And see what God will do with that. Now I want to share this last story. And let's look at it here in the text. You have this amazing story that happens. Starting in verse number 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated, which translated means Dorcas. You wonder why she goes by Tabitha? That's why. Okay. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. We know the story. They set her up in the upper room and then Peter comes and he, he does some interesting things here. So take a look at verse number uh, 40. But Peter put them all outside. And knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. I mean, incredible, amazing miracle. And this is so much like Jesus. In fact, here's what I want you to see. I want you to leave your marker here, but I want you to go back to um, Mark chapter 5. Because there's a story that's very, very similar that occurs in Mark chapter 5. And I want you to see this uh, with your own eyes. Um, Mark chapter 5. And we're going to start actually in verse 36. So uh, Mark 5, 36. And we're going to come back, but look how similar this story is. It's very, very similar. Uh, some critics have said... This only happened once, and Luke attributed it to Peter falsely, but we know that's not true because we know the Bible is inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? You believe that, right? So this is Peter just emulating what he saw in Christ, but they're very, very similar. Here's verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And when he allowed no one to follow him except who? All right, so Peter is going along with them, and James and John, the brother of James. They came to a house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Bad idea, by the way. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into the where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Isn't that cool? Very, very similar. In fact, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce points to this similarity when he says this. It's, it's really cool. Here's a, a quote from his commentary. Peter sent them and the other mourners out of the room, as he had seen his master do before he raised Jairus' daughter from her deathbed. Then he ordered a short, short sentence in Aramaic, differing only in one letter from Jesus' words to Jairus' daughter. Whereas Jesus said, Talithia quam, or that's the, you know, get Talithia means little girl in Mark 5.31. Peter now says, Tabithia, or t- t- uh, Tabitha quam. Tabitha, get up. Tabitha literally means gazelle. And so the, the word for gazelle and the word for Tabitha, and word for little girl is just different by one letter. It's like down to almost the exact same phrase. Peter does what Jesus did. By the way, always a good idea to emulate Jesus Christ. And can I say to you that one of our heart passions is to make you more like Jesus? 
But there was another way that Peter was like Jesus in this text. Jesus often waited until all other hope was lost. Often. You see it here in this story where this girl is dead. You also see it with Lazarus. Right? They were, they were begging him to come down and heal Lazarus. And he wouldn't do it. He literally would not go until the dude died. And then he shows up. <laughs> That's how God does things. Someone has rightly said, God is never late. But he's seldom early. Haven't you seen this in your own life? I, every one of those stories I shared with you earlier about how God showed up for our church here, as God showed up for our church, and God showed up for our church, it was always at just the last minute. Adam and I have often said to each other, God shows up just on time. Just when we were like, is this going to happen or not? Are we going to have insurance or not? Are we going to have enough money to do this church thing or not? And God shows up, and God shows up, and God shows up. I said this a few weeks ago. Um, God squeezes every ounce of life change out of our trials. It's so true. One other story I'll share with you. When we were planting this church, how it worked with my church planning organization is they covered my salary for the first three months of church launching. By April, the church had to be, sorry, by May, I should say, the church had to be established enough to care for my family. So uh, you can imagine how stressful that was. <laughs> because in April, we weren't ready. And I was like, how are we going to make ends meet here? How are we going to do this? And it set my heart into AFib and I was in the hospital. By the way, it's a really bad plan on planting a church. And we will not do that when we plant churches. Uh, but um, in May, the church grew enough. And enough people were contributing that it happened. At just the last minute. All right. Jesus always shows up. Jesus always turns things around. But even as I say that, some of you in this room are like, always? Because I prayed and I prayed. And he didn't. I think if we were sharing in you and I together and you were just really being honest about your heart, maybe a lot of you would have stories of someone like who had cancer. You ever have a story like this? Someone who has cancer and you're praying that God would heal and you're praying that God would heal and you're asking God to do it, man. You're laying your finger in the book of Acts and you're saying, God, show up, heal, please do it. And then he doesn't and they die. And so when I say to you on a Sunday morning, Hey, God always shows up. Jesus always turns it around. You're like, really? How about here? I want to remind you this morning. God often functions different than we want him to. But he will always be faithful because what you have to do is get the temporal out of your mind and get the eternity in your mind. You've got to look beyond the here and now, and look to the larger story of what Jesus can do, and what he will do, and what he is doing. Because if you're in Christ, there is a resurrection coming. 
Can I say it again? If you are in Christ, there is a resurrection coming. Death will not win. Sin will not win. Christ will raise us from the dead. And that loved one in Christ will rise one day. Acts 15 says this, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 says this. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. It's coming. It's coming. And you might not see it right now, but you have to by faith believe one day it will come. And we have this promise later on in the book of 1 Corinthians 15 where it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twin of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It stings now. It hurts now. But I'm telling you, there is eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. And he will rescue. And he will save. And he will turn even death around into victory. Because that's who Jesus is. And I want to tell you, church, that should give you hope. As bad as this world will get, Jesus is always going to have the victory. And we should look every day, every day with hope. We should have hope every day. In fact, I want to end my sermon today with a quote by a professor from Wheaton that I thought was really, really good. Clyde Kilby said this. I shall not fall into the falsehood that this day or any day is merely another ambiguous and plotting 24 hours, but rather a unique event Filled, if I so wish, with worthy potentialities. I shall bet my life on the assumption that this world is not idiotic, neither run by an absentee landlord, but that today, this very day, some stroke is being added to the cosmic canvas that in due course I shall understand with joy as a stroke made by the architect who calls himself Alpha and Omega. Have hope in a God who is at work, who can use you to do the miraculous, even in your ordinary, and live a life hoping in Jesus, who turns all things around. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word, these stories in your word, the encouragement that we find from your word. And Father, as long as we have breath, we will believe that you can do it. Father, as long as I have breath, I will believe that you can save the city of Fort Wayne. I will believe that even as the world gets darker and things get bleaker, that you are still in the business of saving souls and using men to do it. And Father, I will always preach Jesus. And I would pray that you would charge our church up to always preach Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would do a great work here for your glory. Thank you for the hope we can have. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Redemption, you are loved.